How are your finances? You may say to me in response to that question, well, that's none of your business. How dare you ask me such a question? Why don't you just keep talking to me about the weather? You know, we can be very touchy when it comes to the topic of money and finances. And one of the reasons is that because money is such a huge part of our lives, it's whether we like it or not, money is a large part of our life. And it's a source of a lot of stress, worry, anxiety, and in some cases, problems in our lives. Think about it. It, was pro- it could have been money-related issues that gave you the most worry, headache, and cause for concern even this week. Or maybe it was last week. You may have wondered how you were going to pay a bill or you were contemplating possibly your financial situation, the debt, or whatever it is, and it just made you feel overwhelmed. And more people today are in debt than ever before, and the debt is a source of tremendous, a tremendous amount of problems. The question for you tonight is, the question for all of us really is this, are you being a wise steward of your money? Let me shift gears. How is your schedule? How are you spending your time? Are you spending your time wisely and on your top priorities? Time is, of course, a whole lot less of a sensitive subject than money, but it is nonetheless needs to be looked at because time concerns also cause stress and anxiety and some, in some cases, problems. One of the things that people often feel in their lives is that they wish they had more time. Anybody feel like you wish you had more time? How many wish you had less time? Raise your hand. No, nobody? Okay. They wish, we wish that we had some extra hours of the day. Or maybe, you know, some have suggested, you know, could we have like just a whole extra day? You know, seven days was good, but maybe, you know, the, we could have had eight days and that would have really been good. We could have had that bonus day on the weekend, you know? It was like Saturday, Sunday, and then a bonus day. And then Monday. The reality is that we all have the same 24 hours, the same 365 days, the same seven days a week, and the question then becomes, how are we utilizing our time? Are we being a wise steward of our time? One of our founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, said this, dost thou love life? Then do not squander time, for that is the stuff life is made of. The problem for many Christians is that they approach both of these commodities, time and money, with the wrong premise. They approach time and money virtually the same way, and it is this. This is my money, and this is my time. It's my life. And we say to ourselves, we say, we say our, to ourselves that very thing. My, this money is mine, this life is mine, and... When we come to the Bible and we come to the fact that we are Christians, where we become disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to look at, we need to ask ourselves, what is the biblical way of looking at these things? And so Paul said this to the, to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, you'll see it on the screen. 
He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price? So this, this seems to suggest that as a Christian, my life is really no longer just my own. It's no longer something that I can say, this is mine, mine, kind of like, you know, that, that word that you learn when you're two years old, you know, that, that two-year-old word, mine, mine, mine. You're God's. You were bought with a price. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I'll also have it on the screen. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so with both of these ideas, we can come away with that really for the Christian, somebody else may argue a different point, but for the Christian, this life that we have is the Lord's. So if, if we are Christians and our lives are not our own, our life is God's, what about our money? The psalmist in Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2 says this, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, and the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, and he has established it upon the waters. And so, the earth is the Lord's, which means everything in the earth is the Lord's. So, our life is the Lord's, and all the stuff, including the earth, the whole universe is God's, right? So, the whole thing, it's all God's. It all belongs to God. So, the better premise to the approach to money and time is really this question. What should I do with God's money and my life, which is God's? I, I see, it seems to be as a disciple, as a Christian, that's a better way to approach it. And this is where you start to begin to understand stewardship. This word stewardship, you will hear this word stewardship. What does it mean to be a steward or, or, or to, to, be, to have stewardship in your life? And the idea is that everything is God's and he wants me to be faithful and to use the things that he places in my life, including my life, for him according to his principles, according to his plan and will for my life and to, 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 to use it for his glory. The Bible teaches this wonderful principle, the principle of stewardship, and it's, it's a spiritual discipline. It's something that you know, honestly, probably does, it certainly doesn't come naturally. It doesn't, you know, you just, you know, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a steward. <laughs> you know, it's just not, it's not something that just comes naturally. And so we have to kind of learn this principle and how to be a steward. So how do you develop into a steward? How do you really kind of begin to wrap your mind around it and, and, Beyond that, just beyond actually intellectually, cognitively understanding it, how do you really begin to be a steward and to live this out? Jesus actually taught quite a bit on stewardship matters. And one of those places 
in the New Testament in Matthew is in Matthew 24, and we're going to take a look at this text tonight. Matthew 24, verses 45 through 51. And in this particular passage, Jesus teaches us how we can develop the discipline of stewardship, how we can be a person of stewardship. And so if we're going to do this, if you're taking notes, if you've got your receive card and your binder and your folder and all that good stuff, we've got a couple points for you tonight. Well, we've got a lot, but two main points. First, you must realize that you are a steward. First, you must realize you are a steward. If you're a Christian, you are a steward. Just a matter if you're a faithful steward or an unfaithful steward. Okay, so you are a steward. And then secondly... You will be rewarded accordingly. You will be rewarded accordingly. So let's look at this tonight. You are a steward. Let's look at Matthew 24. Pick it up, verse 45. Jesus said this. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. So if you're going to develop, if you're going to become a steward, if you're going to wrap your mind around this concept, if you're going to be, begin to practice stewardship with your life, with your possessions, your money, you've got to begin to understand first and foremost that you are a steward of everything in your life. It's, it's something that's been given to you. So you think of like, you know, one time I was, I was sitting in this Bible study and the person leading the Bible study had, had everybody, it was like, he, 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 he drew a trap for everybody because he said, I want you to think about, like, I want you to just get out a pen and paper or maybe whatever you need and I want you to write down like your net worth, you know. And so everybody's trying to figure out if they actually had a net worth. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and some people were like, I don't have a net worth. It's negative. It's a negative net worth. The bottom line is, it's all God's. It's all the Lord's. It's all the Lord's. We are just a temporary steward over it. And so Jesus asked this question. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant? Whom his master made him ruler over his household. The word for servant there in the Greek is the word doulos. This is the familiar familiar word for servant in the New Testament, doulos. This is how Paul introduces himself, you know, to many of his letters. You know, in fact, his salutation in a lot of his letters is, you know, in the Greek it would read Paulos, doulos, apostolos, you know, a servant, an apostle, and all that, you know. So he goes on. So anyways, this is the word, doulos, and it means a slave, a bondman, a man of servile condition, one who gives himself up to another's will. Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. Devoted to another, to the disregard of one's own interests. A servant, an attendant. Okay, so this servant that Jesus is talking about, this servant is made a steward over his master's possessions. This servant was made ruler over the household of his master. And so look at, look at your life in light of these verses. So God has made you a steward over that household, over your life, over those things that he's brought into your life. 
hey, 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 God loved me and he, he thought, he deemed me worthy <laughs> to, to, to place me as a steward, to be a steward over these things. And this is stewardship. This is the mentality that you've got to have. God makes you his servant and steward over his things. And so we're, we're, we're like managers, really. We're managers. The great thing about being a manager is that you do have some responsibilities, but ultimately the buck stops with somebody up here, okay? You've got some principles, the principles of the company, the manager, the head boss, the CEO that you've got to answer to, and that's what we have. And it's a great thing because it takes the load off of us because we just simply need to follow the plan that's been given to us in our lives. And why? Because we've been made managers over what God has given us. We've been made a steward, a steward. So, and it's a wonderful thing because God has given these possessions and money into your life. You have been given a special privilege and great responsibility. The privilege is that because these possessions and money are in your care, you get the benefit of using them to meet your immediate needs and, in, and, and to enjoy the use and the strategic care of them. You probably need to run that back if you're listening on the podcast, but you know, use that little thing right there where it says back up 15 seconds. Yeah, hit that right now and listen to that again. Because God has blessed you, because he has given these things into your life, you now are given a special privilege and responsibility of being able to utilize those things for your immediate needs and benefit in, this, in the use and the strategic care of them. When I was in college, I had a 1978 AMC Concorde that I had paid $500 for. And actually, I bought it here in Brevard County at Island Lincoln Mercury. In 1988, we walked onto the, the, the dealership there and we said, show us the worst car you have on the lot. We don't have much money, but we need to see like the one that you're ready to send back to wherever they send vehicles to go and die. Oh yeah, we have one like that right over here. Okay, great, we'll buy it. It was a 1978 AMC Concord, and let me tell you about that car. I don't know what, I don't know who owned this thing before, but they had put on it a, like a, uh, like an aftermarket air conditioner on this thing. It was like, this thing was, this air conditioner was so powerful that it would literally freeze, like you would be ice cold in there. In fact, when we would do beach trips, I remember we, some of us would pile into like, you know, we'd do like in college, we'd do a beach trip and we'd all pile into all these cars and we'd hit the highway from Lakeland. And, uh, and I remember my, my roommate would ride with me in, in, the, in the passenger seat there and he would like kind of make fun of all the other people in their cars and he'd just sit there and go like this, and, you know, because he, you know, he was, you know, just showing them like, you know, we're nice and cool in here. And, uh, and that thing, wouldn't you know, it ran. I, I think I, I, I had one repair on it the entire time I had it, and that repair was like $35. And I, I drove it up and down 95 to Washington, D.C. a few times. I think he, I even drove it into the ditch at Mary Jo's parents' house one night on accident. And um, it was snowing. And um, yeah, I think so. And so anyways... 
I got to enjoy that car. Now, most people would look at that situation and go, well, you know, you're not riding around in style. You know, you're, it's not happening. Look, you're, you're in, it's gold, the paint's chipping. It's, you know, got one of those vinyl roofs on the back that's, that doesn't look so great anymore. And it kind of looks like, you know, it was in the American Motors family. And if you know that family of, 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 of vehicles, they weren't they weren't known for like their design team must have flunked design school, okay? Because they were the ones, they were the ones that came out with the AMC Pacer. You remember the Pacer, the Wayne's World car? It, that was actually that was a that was called a fishbowl on wheels, is what that was. It was a fishbowl on wheels, and whoever designed that was probably sent back to like you know the outer northwestern territory of Canada to you know figure out you know design. But you know what? Wherever you are in life, whatever it is that God's placed in your life, you have the, 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 the privilege of enjoying that and getting the use out of it. And wouldn't you know, that car drove me around town and back and forth to work four times a week to the Olive Garden where I worked and, and worked uh, to earn money to pay for my way through Bible college that also had a purpose in it. And so that car served a purpose of riding me around town, getting me to work, which was also serving a purpose to pay for college, which was also serving a purpose. And it was all a part of God's plan. And here we are tonight, 30 years later. Amen. 30 years later teaching the word and just giving God the glory for what he's done. And so wherever you are in life, if you're just beginning or you're somewhere in the middle or you're whatever, you know, whatever, you have to realize you're a steward and God has blessed you with what he's put in your life. Now, now that you know that you're a steward, how do you develop in the discipleship, the, the discipline of stewardship to be a good steward? The key is, is there in Jesus' question in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise steward or servant? Who then is the faithful and wise servant? The key to being a good steward, here it is, listen, the key to being a good steward, the kind of steward God wants you to be, is in faithfulness and in being wise. He says, who then is the faithful and wise Steward. Let's first talk about being a wise steward. God wants us to be wise. He wants us to be wise stewards. Wisdom is something that we need. Wisdom is something that is available to anyone who asks. Do you have wisdom? Do you lack wisdom? That's a first step, realizing that you lack wisdom. <laughs> That's a good first place to start. I don't have wisdom on this. I need wisdom. And therefore, Taking the admonition that is found in the, in, the, in the epistle of James, James chapter 1 verse 5, he says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so you might be sitting here going, look, okay, I got it, Charles. You're saying everything's God's. My life is God's. Everything in my life is God's. And so I need to be a wise steward, and I, I feel like I may be lacking in this area. 
Ding, 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 congratulations. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives liberally to all without reproach and it will be given. And just keep on asking. Ask repeatedly, be consistent. Be like that one, that one, that, that, that one person that Jesus talked about that persisted in prayer and she persisted, persisted in prayer. Be like that one every day. Get up and ask for wisdom and read the Proverbs every day, okay? Until you're just bursting forth with wisdom, the wisdom of God, amen? Well, what does wisdom mean? What does it mean to be wise? The word wise in Matthew chapter 24, verse 45 here that we just talked about, who is the wise servant, the Greek word is phromonos, and it means intelligent, wise, prudent, mindful of one's interests. Now, if we are to be wise stewards, then we then we know that we are no longer just looking out for our own interest, but we're looking out for God's interest because he's the owner of it. And so a wise steward is intelligent, prudent, and looks out for God's interests and desires when it comes to the use of God's stuff, God's possessions. God has an interest in your life, in you being that wise steward. He has an interest in you being full of joy. Did you know that God wants you to be full of joy? And having that life to the full that Jesus talked about, I've come that they might have life and life more abundantly, life to the full. Yeah, this is what God wants. But this does not come at the expense of careful, wise stewardship. Some people think that if I do this and this and I give myself this and give myself this, that this, this is somehow going to create a happy life for me. It's going to create a joy-filled life for me. And what it ends up doing, because it's unwise, the course of action, it actually causes the opposite effect. It brings them to a place where they're not having a joyful life. They're not living in that place of, of just the, the wonderful provision of God, they've gone out and they've done all kinds of stuff in an unwise manner when it comes to stewardship. And happiness and a full life actually come as a result of careful and wise stewardship. Let me say that one again. Happiness and a full life actually come as a result of a careful and wise steward. You can have not as much money as the person down the street, but be a careful and wise steward of that which you do have and actually have a more full life and have more happiness and joy in your life because you have the contentment of the Lord in your life and because you are that careful and wise steward over the things of God. If you are wise... You're not putting yourself deeper and deeper into debt in order to be happy. You know, the, 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 the typical uh, commercial goes like this. You know, and I read this actually in Chuck Colson's book. Anybody know Chuck Colson? He was the one who went to jail in the Watergate uh, thing, uh, Watergate situation with Nixon, and, uh, and ended up um, in, the, in that administration, ended up in prison and actually received Christ as Savior. And then actually got out and actually formed a ministry called Prison Fellowship, I believe, and ministered in the prisons all over the world until he passed away. And one of his books, it's entitled How Now Shall We Live, which I totally recommend if you want to write that down, get that book and read it. But in the book, he talks about advertising. And he talks about that the, the, the basic premise of advertising is that every piece of advertising offers salvation, Okay, you've got a headache, 
You're just miserable walking down the street and around the house and every, the kids are running wild and everything and I've got a headache. Well, take two of these. In the next scene, everything's glorious and you're back out on the beach with the tennis courts and everything and you're just having a great time. Whether it's pain medication or a car or anything in between, he says it, it all is the offer of salvation. We've got to be able, we've got to be the type of wise people that can see through all that and to see and to discern what it is that we actually need and what it is that is actually not going to offer us salvation, but bondage uh, in that situation. Amen? Everything's the Lord's. Everything's the Lord's. If you're a wise steward, you are using the possessions and money that God has put in your care with wisdom from the Lord. Being a wise steward comes with understanding truth. The, the best way that you can become a wise steward is actually living in truth. And these are some important truths that a wise steward knows and understands. We talked about this earlier, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness in the Lord and the world and those who dwell therein. So, the, so everything's the Lord's, including all the money. All the money, if there is any money. There's a difference between money and currency, by the way. Look that one up. But anyways, Haggai 2.8, uh, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. There's an interesting verse in Genesis, actually. That's always kind of intrigued me because there's this verse, I believe it's in chapter two, talking about the garden, and there's this little verse that says, and that's where the gold is. <laughs> and I always uh, let's go there, <laughs> you know. And um, so your life is the Lord's, everything is the Lord's. All that you possess is the Lord's. And so we need to be wise. We need to be wise. We need to have intelligence, we need to have wisdom, we need to seek the Lord. We need to act out in godly principles when it comes to uh, managing this stuff. Number two, the second key to being a good steward is faithfulness. Who is the faith? Who is the faithful? Who's the wise and faithful steward? Right. That was the question. The word for faithful there in Matthew twenty four forty five is the Greek word pistos. It's actually you know pistos is actually faith. Pistos is that word for faithfulness, and it means trusty, faithful of a person who shows themselves faithful in the transaction of business, the execution of commands, or the discharge of official duties. And so to be a faithful steward, you need to be trustworthy and faithful. If you've ever, if you've ever enlisted someone else to help you do something, if, you, if, you, if you've ever had your own business or if you ever have employed at someone, you know this because who do, you, who do you want working for you? Someone that you can trust, that, that can represent you, that could do the job at least about, you know, 65, 70% as good <laughs> as you, maybe more, and uh, hopefully and train them to do the rest and, um, and to be trustworthy, right? To be trustworthy. And God wants us to be trustworthy. He wants us to be just rock solid, faithful. Must be faithful in the transaction of the Lord's business. Must be careful to execute the, Lord, the commands of the master. That'd be interesting. They're like someone wants you to do something. Oh, well, let me, let me, let me contact my, uh, 
you know, my, my business associate, my, you know, he's, he's, he's over me and I got to run everything by him, you know? And <laughs> so, so, you know, hey, run it by, run it by the Lord. So there's a couple keys when it comes to being faithful, when it comes to um, money and finances and possessions, um, because these things can seem to own us instead of us, instead of them being owned by God and managed by us and stewarded by us. And so two things that will help us become that faithful steward of those things are these, these two things, if you're still keeping notes with me. The first one is giving. The second one is contentment. The first key to faithful stewardship is giving. One of the commands that the Lord has, has given to you as a steward of his money is giving, giving to those around you, to be a, a person, a giver. Um, why does God want you to be a giver? Because he's a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave, and he gave, and he gave. And all through the Bible is God giving, and if we're going to be like God, then some, somewhere along the lines, we need to be givers. We need to have... We need, to, we need to be people of an open hand and not a closed fist. Um, the person with an open hand that, that, that can give is the, also the one that has the open hand to receive. The person with the closed fist can be, you know, that miserly uh, person. And, and honestly, most, most people in that category are not happy anyways. They're, they're not joy and, joyful. And they, and, and, they can be, and they can be rich or poor in that category. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of miserly people are rich and actually have a lot, and they're not even happy, <laughs> you know, with what they had. You say, oh, well, if I had all that, I'd be happy. Well, could be if you maintain the principles of what we're talking about here. What, wisdom, faithfulness, giving, being a giver, and having contentment. Just a couple things on giving. Um, it's, it, it flows out of a heart of worship. Um, giving is worship. It flows out of a heart of worship. Giving to God is a part of our worship to him. Paul, in one of his letters, in the letter to the Philippians, he calls the gifts of the Philippians, the Philippian church, a fragrant offering. It's, it's like, you know, the, the gifts that they brought that, you know, that benefited him, that, that benefited other people in need, he says they're a, they're a fragrant offering, acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. And when you talk about those fragrant offerings, especially the burnt sacrifices are often, often called, you know, fragrant offerings. And it's kind of that idea of like, you know, a barbecue. You know, when you smell a good barbecue and you're like, hmm, lunch is going to be good, right? You know? And so it's like that. It's like that. And I think that's what the Lord is, is saying. And so think about, you know, in that aspect of it, pleasing the Lord, of us being givers. And when you give what God wants you to give, you're demonstrating faith in God and your understanding that he is your source. So when you give and you become that conduit of what God's giving to you, and we can talk about, you know, the idea of the first fruits, giving of the first fruits to God. It's the idea, the, the, the idea of the first fruits giving to the Lord is simply this. This is the principle all the way through. It's, this is the first fruits of the harvest. The first fruits of the harvest 
actually was a, a, a picture of that there's more harvest to come. So if I give the first fruits, it's, it's actually saying to God, I trust you because I recognize you're the one that's bringing not just the first fruits, you're the one bringing the whole thing in. And when that's over and done with, you're going to continue to bring that in. So God is my source. God is always my source. And so there's a principle in giving the first fruits to the Lord, to the work of the Lord. And, uh, and so the principle of giving is all the way through the Bible from, um, obviously, all the way back to the beginning. I, thought, I think we just covered in, in, we've covered it a couple places in Genesis already, way before the, the Mosaic Law, eight, hundreds of years before the Mosaic Law was ever given, the Levitical Law, you have Abraham promising, giving a tenth to Melchizedek. You have Jacob at Bethel promising a tenth. And then all the way through this idea of giving, relying on God, that God is going to be my source. And so that's what giving to God does. And it, it's, it's a freeing thing when you kind of embrace that, that, that principle. It's a powerful principle. Now, Here's, I want to go through six principles to follow for good, good stewardship. And we don't have a lot of time to get down into the nitty gritty. I mean, you could do, I mean, this is like, you know, Dave Ramsey spends like every day on the radio talking about all this stuff, right? So I'm just tackling it in 45 minutes and my time is actually up right now, almost. So, so I just want to t uh, tackle a couple of these um, and you can write these down and, and just do some research on them that yourself. Okay, so... Here are some principles to follow for good stewardship. First, if you're writing these down, you need to write these down. Avoid debt. Avoid debt. As much as you can. As much as you can. Now, some people will be hardcore about it. Don't even take out a mortgage. You know, it's, come on, let's, let's, uh, let's be reasonable about some things, but the principle is avoiding debt, especially something that's not collateralized, you know, um, what, what, are, what do they call it in the, the business world? Uh, an, unsecure, an unsecure debt is the type of thing you want to avoid. Number two, seek godly counsel. Seek godly counsel. If you have issues in your finances or you have a big decision to make, you're contemplating a big financial decision, you can never go wrong with seeking godly counsel on that. And you can apply that to anything in life, really, that one. Seek godly counsel. Number three, be absolutely honest with yourself. Absolutely honest with yourself. Here's, here's a, a question that you can ask yourself, or I'll ask it, and then you can ask yourself. What is your current financial situation? If you're in debt, how much are you in debt? Part of being a good steward is if you are in debt, actually knowing that number. Here's, the, here's what I'm getting at. A lot of people find themselves in disastrous stewardship situations because they, they don't actually even know they're, they're not managing their situation at all. And so if you ask them, are you in debt? Yes. How much? I don't know. That's bad. 
That's bad. And in my business, I talk to people all the time um, that actually don't know anything about their finance. They don't know any of their financial information, which, 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 which like surprises me. It shouldn't surprise me anymore, but it surprises me still because it's like, what? You don't know, you know, this account number? It's like you should have that memorized, right? And this all goes to the proper stewardship, the proper management of what God's put into our lives, what God has given to us to manage. Number four, give generously. Give generously. And we talked about that already. Number five, work hard. Work hard. There's an old saying, it's not a, it's not a biblical <laughs> saying, but it's like, the harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs> no, it's just you're reaping the benefits of good old-fashioned hard work. Amen? And that's something we, across the generations, learning the value of a, of a, of a good, honest day's work. And sometimes, you know, I leave, the, leave, the, leave my neighborhood at, you know, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, and I'm pulling back in at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. You know, boom. That's how you do it. Getting it done, right? <laughs> Not every day, but when I have to, I do. And number six, and you could probably have a long list. You could probably have 100 of these, right? Number six, save. Save. We, need, we, we do need to save. And uh, we need to be people who, who understand that principle of, you know, kind of, there's a statistic, there's a, there's a statistic, and I see this, and I've seen it again, and it's just a couple weeks ago I saw this, that it's still true, that like the average American is basically like a couple paychecks away from not being able to like stay afloat. And don't do that to yourself. Save, save save. Figure out where your money's going that you can shave off a little bit of that and put it in a savings account. Put it in some other investments. Um, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who was in town, Sean, and he was talking about, he was talking about, you know, if you, if you can't afford the $7 Frappuccino or whatever, or the $5 coffee or whatever, figure out how you can get a 41 cent cup of coffee and put the other 100 60 into a savings account. And he asked somebody, you know, if you do the math, you're paying $50 a gallon for coffee, you know, on the, you know, where, wherever. So are you okay with that? And if you are okay with that over the course of a year, you know, it adds up to be a lot of money. A lot of people, you know, he talked to his, his family members out in California. And if you know anything about California, the real estate is just nuts. And there's a lot of people that live in California that feel like they can't even afford a house, right? How am I going to even afford a house? And so he started talking to them, well, you're, well, you're doing this, 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 and went through all these habits that they had and figured out that they were blowing $1,500 a month on all this stuff and said, oh, there's half your mortgage payment right there. In California, yeah, that would be half. Here, that would be the whole thing or more. <laughs> <laughs> The second key, and I got to hurry here. You still with me? Okay. The second key 
to faithful stewardship is contentment. The Apostle Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy 6.6, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Again, quoting from Benjamin Franklin, he once said, content makes poor men rich. Discontentment makes rich men poor. Discontentment is what has gotten so many people in this country in such dire financial straits that they don't even know where to begin to be a good steward. And you have to start to be content. You must learn to be content. The word content in that verse means desiring no more than one has to be satisfied, to have a sense of satisfaction with what you have and what the Lord has provided. It doesn't mean that you don't have goals for yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't say, hey, you know, one day I'm going to work and save and work hard to do this or to do that in my life. Hey, that's fine. More power to you. Do it. But there's a, there's a principle of being content in what God has brought about in your life. And the Apostle Paul told the Philippians about this idea of contentment. It's in Philippians chapter 4. I was going to go there and talk about that a little bit, but you can do the study on that. The verses are 10 through 13, and he talks about learning to be content. You know, I, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to not have a lot. I know what it's like to abound. I know what it's like to abase, to be abased. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the context of that verse, right? It's not like I can, you know, jump over the Sears Tower because Jesus is going to make me Superman. No, it's learning how, it's learning the principle of contentment in all things. It's being, being strong to trust and rely upon the Lord and his strength in my life to, 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 to be a proper manager of things when things are going great and to be a proper manager and to have that contentment when, when the, the, the flow is not as, as steady as it once was. And that's what Paul's talking about. 